It's time to take your seat in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. Here's your host, Mike Vaccaro. Well, thanks again, Chuck, and welcome, everybody. Mike Vaccaro with you here behind the scenes, as always, our creator, producer, and director. It is J.R. Quitman. Well, we're up to episode number 60 of our show. Before we get to that, as always, we want to thank you for listening and watching to previous episodes. Be sure to like and subscribe as well if you like what you're seeing. As again, we've had some great guests, great stories today, no exception. Episode 60 today, we're introduced to Carlester Crumpler Sr. Who is he? Well, he's a former football player in Eastern North Carolina. Great story, great background in Wilson, North Carolina. Grew up there, helped segregate the schools when he was a young man. Eventually signed a scholarship, a very big one, to go play football at East Carolina. And then was drafted by the Bills, but injuries kept him away from a pro career. Still some great advice that he got from Bills running back O.J. Simpson. Came a little bit too late in his career. He also shares about his family and his sons, Carlester Jr. and Algie Crumpler, both guys who played in the NFL. But is anybody better than dad? We'll find that story out here today as well. And also we hear about Jeff Charles, the late voice of the Pirates, who Carlester worked for 19 seasons on the Pirate Radio Network. Great stories, great personality, and a great person here. You want to meet him. Episode 60, it features Carlester Crumpler Sr. Well, Carlester, uh, thanks again for joining us here today. And uh, you have a, a very unique story. You're you're an ECU guy through and through. We're going to get into that. But we want to start the beginning with you in, in Wilson, North Carolina. You were born there back in the, the early 1950s, grew up there. Take us back to Wilson, North Carolina, growing up as a kid, what that was like for you and, and the role that, that sports played in your early life. Well, I started out playing what they call the Reed Street Community Center. And there was a gentleman there who was a rec director, but the name was uh, Eugene Cox. And Eugene Cox was, um, he was the Michael Jordan, LeBron James. Uh, he was everybody. I mean, he was the greatest athlete. I mean, you didn't think about it at such a young age, but he was, he was the marvel uh, of, an athlete or, or a coach that could do just about anything. He could swim, you know, he could play football, basketball, or whatever. So uh, he had a, a big influence uh, in my life as far as the start goes, uh, playing what was then midget football at the Reed Street Community Center. Um, and uh, usually I was a little bit bigger. So I, I think the weight limit was about 120. And so I was always uh, broaching that 120. Uh, but was able to play. And I started out playing a little tight end, obviously didn't know what I was doing, but as, as, as time grew, obviously I, I started uh, getting a little better. And in uh, 1964, I think the Freedom of Choice Act was passed, uh, uh, which, which allowed me as a young student, I think at the time I was in the uh, seventh grade, allowed me to go on to the uh, eighth grade and integrate uh, the all white schools at the time. And the middle school or the junior high school was Charles L. Coon Junior High School in, 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 in Wilson, and which was eighth and ninth grade. Because um, uh, uh, the high school at, at Fike High School was 10th grade at the time. So I, I really got my start as far as really organized uh, football, uh, learning what it was really all about in the eighth grade. And quite frankly, it was pretty tough. <laughs> it was pretty shocking because uh, now I had to really have st structured, structured longer and structured practices and uh, being hit, trying to learn the game, uh, being a, a completely different environment, uh, obviously integrating uh, the schools at that time, being one of the first uh, in Wilson to to integrate the schools at the time. So everything was so unfamiliar uh, to a point where after about two weeks of school, uh, I actually wrote a letter to my grandmother, uh, no, wrote a letter supposedly from my grandmother to present to the uh, principal that I no longer wanted to attend Charles L. Coon Junior High School. I wanted to go to uh, Darden, uh, the Darden High School, which did have an eighth grade uh, at the time, which was the all 
black school in, in Wilson. The uh, I never did turn that letter into the principal, which was really a turning point for me because had I done so, I have absolutely no idea where I would have ended up. So I consider that one of the key turning points. Uh, the, the first being making the choice uh, of going to this school. And, and honestly, for the life of me, my personality, the type of individual I am, the background that I came from, I have no idea why I was bold enough <laughs> to take that step. But I did and convinced about uh, two or three of my buddies to go as as well. Uh, but it tur turned out well and things began to turn the corner, uh, started adjusting uh, and getting better. And again, I was a tight end up until the point, um, the last game of my uh, season, that first season at Charles Coon, because we had two teams. We had what we called the Blue Chargers and the Red Raiders. And I was a member of the Blue Chargers. And one day I missed practice or something and the coach decided he'd punish me and and that punishment was to, you know, to catch the ball and run against everybody else on the team. Well, the challenge was no one was ever able <laughs> to touch me. And so uh, they decided to put me a running back for it because we played 11 game, uh, seven game season. That seventh game was the against the, the uh, Red Raiders. And uh they put me at running back. Obviously, we didn't. We really didn't have any plays. It was just a sweep right, sweep left, sweep right and left. And I gained probably about 127 yards and scored the only touchdown of the game. We won 60 nothing, and that may have been the only game we won all season. And from that point on, I became a running back, and that's how my football career really got started. Well, that's a, a lot, though. Uh, on, a, on a young man, a young black man at that time, as you said, to, to integrate the school. Did sports help you and help you also kind of maybe build relationships with your, your white teammates at the time? Um, I look back on it as a buffer from a lot of the probably the negative that I would have experienced. Uh, first of all, uh, I mean, I don't I want to get in my family background because really there was nothing supportive there to to get me to where I got to, honestly. I mean, that's that's the honest to goodness truth. It was, um, there was no direction there. You know, I mean, I don't, to this very day, I've never seen my father before. I mean, he's he, he's been long uh, dead from what I recall, uh, but I didn't even know his name for a very long time. Uh, and my mother has never even seen me to this very day, have never seen me play a single sport of any kind at any time. Uh, but there was something, I guess, about my personality, the way I carried myself and the way I acted uh, in the environment that I was in that was far more positive than negative. And the fact that now I was taken off as being a pretty decent uh, football player at the time, I think all that became a buffer uh, for me. And that's the way I look at it. So, I was doing something that was relatively important as far as athletics goes. And first of all, I, you know, I was a, I wouldn't say a friendly person, but I, I wasn't a show off. And no matter what I did and how well I did it, you know, my demeanor never changed uh, to a point where people would conceive me as being cocky or he think he's this and he's that. Um, and I think that uh, brought more, not only more attention to me, that, but people beginning to like me even more. And, and first of all, you got to realize it's the first point of integration for me and this school I was going with. And, you know, what was the perception of that white student body of a black student athlete coming or a black person coming into their school? So I'm sure there was some, some pre perceived uh notions as to what I would be like based on whatever their upbringing is or, or however they felt about black people or whatever. And I think I was more likely totally opposite of anything that anyone thought a black person would be like. And for that reason, uh, I think it became a very uh, huge positive in, in my success and matriculation as I continued on. 
Well, and then you succeeded uh, on the playing field as a running back on over 4,000 yards uh, in your high school career, taking that team to state championships as well. Did that help maybe get the, the fan base behind you? Obviously, you know, your teammates learned about you and, and realized the person that you are. Uh, did it help, though, with the, the rest of the, the community to, to really embrace you during that time? Yeah, the schools were, you know, there were only two high schools in Wilson at the time. Of course, you had Saratoga, Stansburg, whatever. But in the city of Wilson, there was only Fike and Darden. Uh, and uh, Darden had uh, quite a bit of success, uh, probably winning a state championship, the football team in probably in the 65 or whatever. But they had really good athletic athletic teams. Uh, but Again, you realize by the time I got to the eighth grade, I was still the only African-American or black student athlete on the team. I was the only one. Um, but again, you know, my person, personality, the way I carried myself, I think just all made a huge difference in uh, the experience that I had. I really truly did not have a negative experience even having to be, even being at the forefront of of all of that, uh, I didn't have a negative experience. I mean, there, there were some challenges from time to time, but nothing that was uh, bad enough to, you know, to have me go in a different direction than what I was going in. Um, so, I mean, that's, you know, the the crux of it. I mean, and. You know, some students probably had nightmares or whatever, but uh, I did not. Um, and I think one of the stories, uh, Lynn Daniel, who lives in uh, Wilmington, was uh, my first high school quarterback. And Lynn uh, revealed the story to me. Well, actually, the first time I saw it was in the book Cyclone Country that was written about us, that he and Harold Wilkerson, uh, which was a wide receiver and a kicker on the team, uh, the first time I walked into the locker room, uh, I think there was just some guys were going to play a prank on me. You know, I'm the only black kid in, in the locker room. They're going to play this prank on me. And Lynn and Harold, which were captains at the time, learned about it. And what they did was when I walked in, they brought me over to their lockers and said, here, you're sitting between me and uh, you're sitting between me and Harold. And I didn't know that story until the book was written. Wow. Uh, and we talked about it again, like uh, I think uh, last year, because we were at the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame together. I had invited Lynn to join me and, and a few other people. Uh, and I, that that was something I never knew until uh, that moment, which was pretty interesting. So it, whatever they had, whatever the other guys had planned, <laughs> it, never, it never happened. Well, I must you know, again, you found out about that story years later, but that must mean a lot to you to, to have guys that accepted you right away and didn't worry about the color of your skin, didn't worry about even how maybe a great athlete you were. They just saw you as, as Carlester Crumpler, Crumpler at that time, right? Yeah, I mean, it was, um, I mean, I, I mean, you know, I was just trying to do whatever I needed to do. Uh, I didn't have anyone to really consult with or support. But if someone was willing to reach out to help, uh, then I didn't worry so much about who it was as long as I felt like it was positive and I would just respond in kind um, and, and move on from there. Uh, again, uh, I, I may have been the right person at the right time for everything that was going on to uh destroy or mitigate any of the negatives of a black student athlete and what that person would be like and how you would react in whatever the situation that you were put into. Well, well again, you, you put all that behind you. you. You had a great high school career. At what point did uh, the college coaches start to, to notice you and, and start to come calling and, and, and you realize, okay, I've got a chance to, to play on the collegiate level. Well, by the time I hit the 11th grade um, uh, is, is when things started popping off, so, so to speak. And uh, obviously I had to get academics in line at the time because I was not on a, a track for college because at the time you, you had like a, a more like a general 
education type of uh, diploma versus an academic diploma. And so I had to get on the academic track of uh, diploma or whatever it was to uh, to make sure I got the courses that were that were acceptable to enter into a into a college at the time. So that was a challenge in itself uh, because I had to make that switch and start cramming things in, trying to get the credits that are needed, uh, the appropriate credits that are needed to to enter uh, any university. Well, again, Wilson, not far from East Carolina, was that part of the allure to go into ECU back in 1970? You you accepted that scholarship to, to play for the Pirates? Well, I remember the day I made the decision uh, on the hallway of uh, of uh, my high school, uh, right outside the gymnasium. Um, and uh, it was a, a t very tearful moment, but a very pressure relieving uh, moment uh, at the time. I only had my brother and my grandmother. Uh, and my grandmother, obviously, she's really the one that raised me. Uh, she was not in the best of health. And um, for me, the deciding factor is I needed to be close to her. I, I mean, I really didn't have anybody else uh, to depend on. Uh, so that played heavily into my decision to uh, come to East Carolina. But in looking back, uh, in hindsight, it was more likely the best decision uh, for for me. Big decision for you. Big moment for the school as well. You had board of trustees, you had coaches, you had the chancellor there during your signing as well. What did that tell you maybe about what that moment was for you and for East Carolina as well? I didn't know how 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 important <laughs> how important it was, uh, but uh, you know I have uh, copies of those pictures on my wall now of me signing as a young seventeen, almost turning eighteen year old, uh, coming to ECU. Um, I knew I was being highly recruited, but you know I never got a big head about it, and it was it was I, I can't say it wasn't a big deal. It was it was a big deal, but it wasn't a big deal for me as far as expressing myself it was uh, i look on it now as wow this must have been really really special for the chancellor of the university board members and coaching staff and everybody to, to drive to wilson north carolina to see me uh pin my name on a a scholarship uh, i look back on that now with a great deal of pride uh, simply because that's not that's not the way it's done uh, that was pretty special. And um, it, so, um, you know, it's totally out of the norm. I don't know anyone, that, uh, I don't know anybody anywhere that ever had that experience, but I had it and I have visual proof of it. So, you know, it's not something I could say and everybody look at me like I'm nuts. No, here are the pictures right here. They're, yeah. they're on the wall. It's, it's written this in, you know, it was in this particular, uh, written in this particular uh, form of media, whatever. And uh, so that was pretty, pretty, pretty special. I mean, some people looked at, well, why do you go to East Carolina? Well, you know, I mean, I, like, look, there are all sorts of bells and whistles and everything that uh, to try to seduce athletes to do things today. I never looked at East Carolina's record. I never worried about the size of their stadium uh you know what their locker room looked like you know what kind of team did they really have or whatever it's just that hey mike mcgee was recruiting me i knew he wanted me badly he was literally at my door nearly every day talking to my grandmother i mean i know my grandmother didn't have a clue uh as to what was going on uh trying to uh, ensure that I would, you know, come to East Carolina. Well, I did, and I never played a down for him because one, you couldn't play as freshman, yeah. and two, he left after one season. So um, that was it. But uh, not a moment, not a moment have I regretted my decision to come to ECU. Yeah, it was obviously uh, a great fit for you. You're still there in an administrative role now, but. As you said, you couldn't play as a freshman back in the NCAA rules at that time, but then your career after that, what was it like to see how, how you were able to really develop 
during your time at ECU and in the Southern Conference at that time, and you were an outstanding running back for that team. Well, you know, there, there's, you know, I thought one, I thought we had good teams, we had good coaches, uh, and that was really a key. I mean, Sonny Randall was, uh, he was, a, he, he was tough. <laughs> if you're going to play for East Carolina's team, uh, you had to uh, have it because either you were going to stay or you were going to leave. And we had a lot of, we had a lot of football players leaving the program because they could not handle the pressure that Sonny would put on us. I think back on, I think of the athlete of the day and what I had to endure and so many of my generation had to endure. And um, the thing that's always funny to me is some of the modern era players uh, want to think that, well, I couldn't do now what I did then. And I go like, well, you have no idea. I think I would fare, fare far better in your environment today that has all the strength and conditioning and all the stuff you have year round versus when I was in school when it was tough and when you had the guys like Dick and Jones slapping you upside the head and slapping you silly and all the type of things we're able to do now that are illegal today. Uh, and I can't remember water being on the sideline. Mm. I mean, really can't. I can't. I, I was thinking the other day that, well, did I go to a water cooler on the sideline and drink anything? I mean, that's just, it, it's just so far different. Wow. Uh, so I get tickled when I get challenged about my records. And I go like, no, you know what? If you're halfway decent, you should be breaking some of my records, if not all. Because after all, I played 11 game season, played three years. Didn't play all the games, obviously. Didn't play all 33 games, whether it was an injury or, or splitting time or whatever it was. And I set a record, a Russian record that stood the better part of just about 20 years. And uh, you're setting records today that only last two or three years. So who was better? So, I mean, in, so in hindsight, when you look at it, yeah, I may have less yards than you, but my record still stood longer, which means – Everyone coming behind you are just as good as you or whatever. But uh, the other point I try to make or I make every now and then when I'm challenged about my records is I go, like, look, I played. OK, let's say I played 33 games. Guess how many you play today? Not only do you 12, play a 12 game season, not only do they count all your stats now from the uh, in the postseason, which we never played any postseason games when I played. So I played 30, uh, 33 33 games in a regular season, you now play 48. You have 12 games a season, freshman are eligible, you now play 48, plus you have your postseason. And I'm still probably in the top six, eight, or a 10 in most categories. So if you want to take your three years and match them up against mine, um, and, I, and I know that the Offenses are more wide open now, whatever you do, whatever, whatever. I say, well, you look at it statistically that way. If you want to look at statistics, look at it that way and stop giving me your extra 14 games plus whatever you play in bowls and tell me how good you are because it doesn't match up. Well, you were darn good. Almost 3,000 yards in your career, like you said, three years, not as many games, 37 touchdowns, a great year in 1972, over 1,300 yards uh, you mentioned, you know, as a former tight end, you were bigger than the other kids in junior high and high school. What was your running style once you got into college? And I'm sure that the guys you're going against a little bit more your size, more comparable with you. So what was your running style like? I, I can't describe it as well as others can describe it. Uh, they always say high knee action, um, whatever. To me, uh Whatever they can describe, I can't visualize it. Um, and even when I see it, I can't visualize it, which is kind of crazy because they always say, Crump, man, you had such a long stride and you had this high knee action, quick so-and-so and so-and-so, and you're strong, powerful, whatever. Um, I mean, it was, as Coach DeVathan, uh, my high school coach, had put it, I mean, it was 
very unique in the way I, I ran the football, uh, but everything that looked so unique to everybody else was very normal to me. Um, so it, it was very difficult for me to describe my style in general, looking at it myself, because I can't see it or I don't see it the way everyone else visualizes it. Everything felt so normal. I wasn't supposed at 6'4", uh, probably played at, at max one, uh, probably 200, 205 in, in high school. Um, first of all, it was very unusual to see a 6'4 running back, you know, in the in the 60s, late 60s or whatever, or any point in time for a long time. And to be able to do the things I was able to do, whether it was cut, the quickness and uh, the footwork or whatever that I was able to do. So it was uh, definitely unique, uh, but everything felt so normal to me that uh, I, I can't even see it, even though I do it and I do see it, it. I just don't visualize it the same way everyone else does. Well, again, something was working well for you. 1972 and 1973 Southern Conference, not just the, the football player of the year, but the athlete of the year. That kind of says something about you and, and the impact that you made there. You're, you're known as Crump. What, what did it mean to you when, when those guys and, and, again, the ECU fans would really embrace you and, and what you did there? You eventually became a Hall of Famer at ECU. Well, it, it uh, you know, it all the Crump started all in, in – um, I don't know who started Crump, but it, it but it it stuck. You know, I've been Crump, I've been CC Ryder, uh, but usually CC Ryder would be just from a few players and you know one of the assistant coaches. Uh, so you know, the nickname of Crump became uh, very very special and I think very very unique. Uh, not only in my high school days, but here at ECU uh, as well. Um, you know, I had a great experience at East Carolina uh, athletically, um, you know, as we won two Southern Conference titles and, and the type of teams that Sonny was able to put together with his recruiting and, and his style and way of doing things. And we really, really did have some very, very good uh, football coaches. And I didn't have anyone to compare them with at the time because I didn't know any better. When I look back, we had some very good football players and some very good uh, players as well as uh, coaches. Um, you know, we weren't always the biggest, fastest or whatever, but we were sound fundamentally and we worked extremely hard. And as a result, we were able to put a product on the field that I think fans were very, very proud of. And we look back on with a lot of pride because it's, it's hard to win conference championships and it's hard to win football games in, in, in general. And I come from that era where strength and conditioning was, you know, I never lifted a weight in college. I mean, these guys lift weights every day, basically. I didn't lift, lift the weight in college. We didn't have a weight room. Uh, and when we went through one of the drills, it was, uh, it was a universal machine that we had in one room of the sports medicine uh, building that we had. And we're tinkering around with it as part of whatever we're doing. But, I mean, it was nothing serious. There was no weight. Anything I did weightlifting-wise was done on my own, whatever I wanted to. And most of that would be leg extension, leg curl type stuff. You know, I mean, that, that was the staple of it. And, you know, maybe a few curls or whatever. I didn't lift a tremendous amount of weight, you know, trying to do uh, bench presses and all that kind of stuff. I just didn't. So everything that I had – came more from whatever your natural development was just being on the field and, and working out because it was not a formal strength and conditioning program as it is today. And when football season ended, it ended. We didn't go, we didn't go work out voluntarily. It was just like, okay, we're done until one of the drills roll around. And after that's over, okay, we're rolling the spring drills. Okay. We're done until fall drills come yeah. around. And the difference today is they work it all year round. We, we got here in the fall, it was killer time. It was, hey, let's get into shape. So it was brutal uh, going out two or three times a day and in the heat and the way we had to work uh, and the perception of, you know, what toughness was at that particular time. And, I mean, th these guys today, they just have no clue, no absolute no clue. They, they want to always – uh, we're bigger, stronger, faster. Yeah, you're bigger. Yeah, you're stronger. Yeah, you're faster, but you ain't tough as nothing. 
you know, the mental toughness is not there. Uh, and not even so much as the physical toughness. And, you know, kids just quit all the time now and, and just do all sorts of stuff. They have no clue uh, what it was like uh, to be in my day and my era generation and, and to go to the t- through the type of things we had to go through. Yeah, 50 year gap between your playing days to those guys now. So I can certainly see that definitely a, a different time. But you, you look at the in 2022, the 100 year anniversary for the Southern Conference, you're on that football team. So what does that tell you about you? Again, 100 years, you were a small part, three years of it. But obviously what you did was something that has held up for a long time. Well, it to me, it was it was special to, to be recognized in, in, in that class and in that way. So uh, it was, you know, you don't think about stuff like that, uh, but, you know, it happened, you know, I qualified the, the qualification standards that they had. And, you know, I, I, I met one of them, if not two or whatever. So I was very honored to be a part of uh, uh, that centennial group and, um, to be able to represent East Carolina. And to me, it means that, yeah, I was able to do something that was pretty special and it stood the test of time. Um, and, you, you know, you really can't take it away. And you, again, you go through these processes, you don't know what's in the future, um, but, you know, it's there, it's happened, it's history. And I look back on it with a great deal of pride. And I think I represented myself or my family in East Carolina in a way that uh, people can show a lot of respect, and that's that's critical. Well, you talk about history, uh, a, a tragic part of history, I guess, when you were a freshman, right, when the Marshall plane crashed November 14th, 1970, it was Marshall leaving Greenville after playing the Pirates, coming up short in that mountain in, in Huntington, West Virginia. How did that affect the team? How did that affect you at that time? Well, I didn't play as a freshman, which means uh, – Unlike uh, today, where you're probably around regardless, you know, we were kind of freshmen, we were kind of free to do whatever they wanted to. I was not even in Greenville when they played that game. I was actually in Salisbury with what was uh, visiting my girlfriend, who eventually became my wife uh, uh, a few years later. So, uh, you know, when I get asked that question, I, I you know, I, I really have don't really have a, a solid response other than, look, I wasn't even in the stadium that day. I, you know, I didn't have any obligation. Uh, you would think that maybe I would, but my friend Ronnie Barnes, who's a head trainer in the New York Giants, he and I went to Salisbury, North Carolina, to visit uh, my girlfriend at that time. Uh, and we heard the news on the radio in return from Salisbury. So, um you know, I get called from time to time about that experience, but I, I mean, I, I wasn't even in the stadium that day, uh, but certainly was saddened about everything that happened. And uh, it was a very tragic moment. But for those players that were there and played uh, against that team that day, it was uh, obviously more devastating because you you competed that day against each other. And then something like that tragic, tragically happens uh, after the game is over. Yeah, still a plaque now at uh, Dowdy Ficklin Stadium there at ECU uh, to commemorate that team as well at Marshall. Um, again, a great career for you. You get a chance to get drafted by the Buffalo Bills. Uh, what did you find out about getting drafted? What were your thoughts about getting drafted by the, the Bills at that time back in 1974? Well, I was excited. Um, I, I was actually – I didn't go well, – it was a 26-round draft um, in in '74. Uh, so I was actually the 99th pick uh, when the fourth round. So you look at the fourth round today, it's not very good. But when you're fourth out of 26 rounds, it was pretty doggone good. Uh, but um, I can't think of the uh, uh, the the one of the top uh, scouts of the Dallas Cowboys at the time. I, I can't think of his name right off. Uh, you know, I was projected to go first or second round. And of course I had shoulder surgery at the end of my junior year and one at the end of my senior year. So whenever I went to Buffalo, I would, I mean, I had very little, very little strength uh, and could not perform as, as well. But um, 
the experience of being drafted was was pretty ex exciting. Um, and I look back on that with fond memories. Things just did not work out. You know, I just wasn't healthy enough. Things just didn't hold up, which is very disappointing. But, you know, everything is not meant to be. So uh, that's why I value um, my education and, and my family and everyone that's gone through this process of how important it is because nothing is guaranteed uh, for you as you continue on. You know, there's no guarantee that I would have been any good in college or the National Football League. And what the, the way I could come to some peace of mind was, hey, it just wasn't God's plan for me to do this. And uh, that's the way I left it because, I mean, otherwise I'd be driving myself nuts about it uh, because I, I should have been better. I should have gone further, but it didn't happen for whatever reason. And I, I choose not to dwell on that uh, very much at all. But, but, you know, thank goodness I had two sons to come along that, that did excel in the National Football League. So uh, something good came out of it after all. And, and the Bills had O.J. Simpson at the time. Were you going there intending to, to back him up, play along with him? What, what, was, what were you hearing from the Bills at that time? Uh, I wouldn't, really wasn't caring about O.J. I mean, he was a fantastic athlete. And honestly, my, my only focus was just doing the best I could do uh, uh, he offered me, and, and it's crazy, but he, he in practice, uh, he offered me one tip in running the ball that no one else throughout my entire career ever said, and they watched me daily in practice and in games, and OJ made one, gave me one tip in a practice one day, and he said, Crump. When you run through the hole, keep your head up. And he said, if you keep your head up, the likelihood is that when someone hits you, your momentum would keep you upright rather than fall. And I cannot remember that three yard in a cloud of dust offense we ran at ECU how many times because the isolation plays, I ran through it my head down and I'm thinking I'm getting ready to break away and someone would trip me up and I would fall right to the ground. No coach ever, ever gave me that one tip. And I, and I look back, the only thing I regret now is I look back on it and say, man, how many more yards would I have gained if I had just kept my head up? Because you know when you went through the hole, there's going to be a collision. <laughs> the isolation play, fullback on the linebacker, either you're going to get by them or there's going to be a collision somewhere as you enter that hole. And uh, when I look back on my career, that is the one thing I regret more than anything. And when I was running, it was, I'm going to outrun you. I'm not going to stop and do all this fancy cutting or whatever. And if I had a chance to cut, fine. You know, if you, if you cut me off, you cut me off. I just keep running until you cut me off. Whereas I, because my thing was, and algae will tell you, my thing was, if you head, stay ahead. I don't want nobody to catch you or whatever. Well, I could have just stopped and just made a cut, and I didn't. And I think, man, how many yards did I leave, did I leave out there uh, because uh, I was so intent on doing something one way or another? But I think that all comes down, honestly, to, to coaching, too, as part of it. I mean, you're just a, a player, and um, maybe I just didn't catch on as fast as, as some of the others. But I think there's a lot that I left out there. Uh, that if I had to do it all over again, I'd have been, I would be much, much better. But I don't want to do it all over again. Yeah, exactly. You've done great. Uh, what you did, like I said, great advice. Came a little bit too late for you. Let's let's go to you know after your playing days. What was on your mind? What did you think was going to be next? Because what became next for you was an administrative role with uh, your alma mater and also on the the broadcast for the the football broadcast as well on the Pirate Sports Network. Well, that, that was later down the line. You know, I, I, I delved in so, so many different things before I came to East Carolina and settled here for the last 34, 35 years. But, you know, I've been in the, the tire business, done a little radio broadcasting, a little TV broadcasting, worked in the industry. Uh, uh, there was a one point that I thought I was just destined to do basically nothing. Uh, but part of it began when I was uh, – at this, uh, I worked at uh, for WG, 
WGTM radio in Wilson for a year doing um, five sports broadcasts a day. But, you know, usually I, I may do one live or two and the rest of them will be uh, recorded. Uh, and that kind of that got me started off in the uh, that part of the field and probably one of the significance of positions I uh, uh, was into when I left uh, that uh, industry was uh, I, I went to this uh, company, TRW, and worked there for seven years and prior to getting a call from East Carolina to uh, be a part of the athletic program. Uh, and that all came about because uh, Dr. Henry, the late Dr. Henry Van Sant, wanted me to come over and speak to football recruits uh, on a given weekend, and football recruits and their families. And I, I did several of those. And after doing it, I mean, then he, he, they decided they wanted me to be on the staff full time. And that's how I got started at East Carolina. The greatest move ever, because I was making really good money in the industry that I was in. Um, started out actually running the machine, then went into quality control, then I went into supervision, um, you know, finished up my degree and everything else and went into supervision and and um, then had the opportunity to come to ECU and took probably about a nine, $10,000 pay cut just to come here. Uh, and in hindsight, it took a long time to make, <laughs> make that money back up, but uh, uh, I don't regret it at all because this has been a great place uh, for me to finish out uh, everything that I'm doing. Again, 19 years as an analyst on the broadcast. I've got to ask you about uh, Jeff Charles, who unfortunately we lost earlier this year. 30 plus years for him as uh, the voice of the Pirates. What was it like working alongside him and, and you guys kind of come along together with that that football broadcast that you were doing at ECU? Yeah, Jeff and I came to East Carolina in 1988. He, uh, 88. he came here in June, and I came in July. <clears throat> Initially, uh, Charlie Carr, who was one of the administrative assistants at, or assistant ADs, whatever he, he did at the time, wanted me to be a uh, – you know, I was working in football, and he wanted me to be a part of the broadcast. And I go like, no, I want to be on the field with the team. Well, that didn't go over very well at all. That about two, day, <laughs> two days <laughs> – uh, and I had not met Jeff yet, obviously. So I decided, oh, you know, yeah, I'll do it. Um, and having worked with Jeff, uh, hearing his voice, uh, because I had done a, a color analyst at high school level with the uh, radio station there. And the play-by-play -play guy was just nuts from the standpoint of, if something was going wrong, like say the officials are cheating, the officials are cheating, stuff like that. And I'm going like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so we'd go through uh, that, which was very unprofessional, but uh, but I didn't take part in it and go, yeah, they really are cheating or something like that. But, but to, to hear a pro like Jeff Charles at the time do it, I was pretty excited. And as a side would say, Jeff, if, if something was not going the way Jeff wanted to go, Jeff had a way of getting the point across to you uh, without, you know, hurting your feelings or getting upset or whatever. But he was a perfectionist. Uh, he was always evaluating the broadcast, uh, trying to make it better. And it was just an absolute pleasure to work along him work alongside him for 19 years in, in the broadcast booth. And one of the reasons I stepped out is because when I uh, remarried and started another family, I I just saw myself being so consumed every single weekend, at least football weekends, that I wanted to spend more time with them because when Carlos Jr., Algie, and Brian were coming along, Obviously, I was able to see Carlos Jr. here as he went through East Carolina. Algae, I had to pick and choose when I could get to a Carolina game or whatever. But I just saw myself wanting to make sure I could spend more time nurturing uh, uh, nurturing those, uh, the daughter and, and son I would eventually have uh, later. And just needed. I just felt like I just needed to spend that time with them. And so I got off the broadcast and, and never looked back, but working with Jeff Charles was amazing uh, with the way he handled things, the, the, the friendship and the relationship that we, we uh, 
developed over the years up until his death uh, was just tremendous. Yeah, great story. Great person certainly missed up there in Greenville and, and elsewhere as well, uh, especially even, you know, people like us at UNCW that the Pirates went up to against the, so many sports through the years. You mentioned Algie Crumpler, your son, Carl Lester Jr., guys that played in the NFL. You have another son, Brian, who's a musician, and a young son now, the next Crumpler as well, who's a highly sought-after recruit. Uh, stack yourself up against those guys, and uh, and who's the most talented? And maybe is it the musician over the players? <laughs> you know, Brian, Brian likes to think he doesn't get as much attention, but honestly, he gets – as much attention as the student athletes in the family. Uh, so whatever his perception is, it is. Uh, but uh, there is no one in my family that was better than me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I just have to put it out there. I mean, uh, there were there were gifts that I was given uh, that had I had the opportunity to have some of the things that the athletes have today. I don't know how good I really could have been. I would never concede to them that they are better. I'm always better than any of my sons have ever thought about being. They all had their special gifts. I think Carlos Jr. was outstanding in the, his blocking game. Algie, as big as a man he is, had very soft hands and very quick feet. Uh, neither one of them was faster than their dad. The closest Probably comes um, Isaiah uh, in, in in matching me in speed, the closest, but he ain't got there, but he's close. But he's very gifted in the fact that you can put him almost on anywhere on the field and he will do well at it. So he had that versatility. I thought Algie had a great deal of versatility as well. And with the Carolina is more of a defensive end linebacker and end up being uh, a tight end. And my question to Carolina was, can he catch the ball? <laughs> so, and they go like, yeah. And uh, so I got an opportunity to actually see that. And, and he did. So no, I'll, I'll never concede that they're better. They all have their strong points, but no, dad was so much better. <laughs> I love it. I love it right there. Uh, well, Isaiah, again, uh, class of 2024, has he chosen yet? Are you, you putting the, the press on for him to, to be a pirate like you? Or how, how does that work? How have you worked with your kids as far as where they've gone to school? As you said, Carl Lester Jr. is the only one who has followed in your footsteps and went to ECU. Well, I was the recruiting coordinator when Carl Lester Jr. was, was, was that helped. That was, yeah, that helped, but that was also, that was quite a bit of pressure. I can't recruit my own son to come to ECU. Uh, but he did, and it was honestly one of the greatest joys of my life having him join East Carolina as, and, as you know, as a member of the team, and, and then the success he went on to have uh, to at least put him in the NFL for, for five years, and that was a springboard for him moving on and doing some of the other uh, greater things in life that he's that. Uh, He's, he's done. When Algie came along and wanted to make his decision to go to North Carolina, the first thing I said was, are you sure? And he goes like, yes. I said, well, think about it. And we were actually right there in Wilmington, you know, because he played at New Hanover. So we were right there in Wilmington. Uh, when he discussed that with me. He called me back about a week later and he says, dad, he says, I really want to go to Carolina. I said, you're absolutely certain. And then I went on to tell him the the negatives and the negatives was, hey, I'm on the radio and I do this and I do this. I cannot get to every single game, but I'll get to every one that I can. And you just got to understand that and not hold that against me uh, that I can't be there like I saw all of Carlos Jr.'s games because I was there. You know, I was on the broadcast team. Uh, I said, so that's the negative side of it. But I said, if that's what you truly want to do, I said, you get Mac on the phone. And we'll talk to him. So he got Mac Brown on the phone. And I go, uh, I go, Mac, uh, Algie has made a decision. He wants to, you know, be a part of the UNC. And I says, the only thing I want from you is, says, I just want, I uh, says, you know, he's, he's going into now entering his senior year. And I just want to guarantee that no matter what happened, he'd still have his, his uh, athletic scholarship, whether you're there or not. 
And he says, Crump, he says, I, I guarantee you he will, you know, I will have it set that he will be taken care of if anything like that happened. Well, as I look back on it, you know, he could have said anything that he wanted to and, and nothing's guaranteed until you sign, until you sign that uh, national letter of intent. So, um, but I took him for, uh, took his word for it. And sure enough, that's what Alger did. And, and uh, I had him immediately to get on the phone with everyone that was recruiting him and say, look, I made a decision to go to Carolina. It is my wish that you no longer contact me in regards to recruiting anymore. And I said, you let them know that. And I said, if you have any problem with that, with someone not honoring those wishes, you let me know and I'll handle it. And, uh, so obviously there are some coaches that were not excited about it, including here at ECU, but there's a story there that, that mind boggles me, but I won't share that, but that that's mind boggling to me. But the point is uh, when I got that point of dissatisfaction from another coach or two, I says, unless he wavers, you are not to touch him. Algie never wavered uh, to this very day. And he's as happy as he can be um, with that decision. And he's heavily involved in most anything that goes on athletically with Carolina regarding football. Um, and so he didn't waver. And that was the end of it. The same thing with Carlos Jr. was he wanted to take visits to Oklahoma and some other places. And I said, no, you called him right now. He said, well, I've never been to Oklahoma. I said, it's too bad. If this is your decision. You tell them, no, you're, you're done. It's over with. And that was that was it because I'm all about the uh, integrity side of it. You made this commitment. We're going to honor the commitment, and that's the end of it. So that's how it all uh, got going. Uh, and again, they had great careers in their own rights, but uh, no one's better than Dad. Is nope. the lesson I take away from this interview here today? They they had better pro careers than their dad. I, I'll give them the credit for that. Uh, but uh, overall, if they want to talk about better athlete, now they can't touch their daddy. Well, Dad, I'm glad we had a chance to sit down and talk about your career. Amazing career, amazing things that you have done throughout it as well. And I know you're a very proud pirate. And uh, again, I thank you so much for spending a little time and, and sharing your amazing story with us here today. Well, I appreciate it, Mike. Well, again, another great guest, great stories. And I love the fact that he wasn't letting his sons know who is best in the family. It is Carlester Crumpler Sr. So again, our thanks to him for joining us here today, sharing his story with us. Our thanks to you for watching and listening. And we remind you, this is a CLNS Media Network podcast. Be sure to check them out. Other great podcasts out there as well for you to watch and listen to. Don't want to miss those. And as always, be sure to subscribe to ours. Like this episode if you did as well. We'll have more great episodes coming your way here soon. Again, until our next episode, I'm Mike McCarroll. Again, JR Quitman behind the scenes. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Another episode of In the Front Row with Mike McCarroll. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs>